Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. Good morning. Um, my name is Kara. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning on this beautiful day with like perfect weather. That's how I view it. It's like perfect. It feels crisp and fresh and you just take a deeper breath and you're like, yes, this feels so good to my body. Really glad that you're here um, with us. We know that um, it's the end of the break. So if you traveled or if you were on break and you still managed to get here on time, I feel like you deserve an extra star or <laughs> applause or something. Um, we're really glad you're here with us. Um, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read Psalm 25 and then head into worship. Um, and if you need to close your eyes or read the words, um, listen, do whatever you need to do to set your heart in a posture of heading into worship and um, meeting with the Lord and getting to spend time with him and exalt his name. So I'm going to be reading Psalm 25, 1 through 8. So it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, in none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed of who, you, of who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from, old, from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. So we just come before you this morning and we collectively um, just take a breath. And we recognize that in this moment we are in your presence. We recognize in this moment that you have come into this place before us. You have already set the table. Your love is here to meet with us. Your presence is here to abide with us. 
And so we place every distraction, we place every worry, we place every fear, every concern, every unknown, everything we're trying to control, we place it at the cross and we lift our hands to you and we say, we want the story that you are writing more than we want our own story that we are trying to write. We want your love to invade us. And so I just ask this morning would be a time where we engage with you. May our hearts be open to hearing from you. May our eyes see you moving. May we recall the testimonies and all that you've done in our lives. May our faith be encouraged by worshiping and exalting your name together. And may your name be lifted high above. We exalt you and we praise you through every mountaintop and through every valley. You are worthy to be praised. And so we exalt you this morning. And we ask that you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. They keep playing um, with eyes closed. We're going to go back into that song. But um, I think about these words in contrast over the last few weeks where so many people have physically lost their homes and their dwellings and their lives. And I think about, we heard, someone this morning was speaking in our, our pre-service about not only people who have physically lost their lives, but there are people in this room who spiritually or emotionally or mentally or physically, you feel like you've lost everything. And you may feel that deficit, that loss this morning, you may look around and just see rubble. And so I want us to sing this song again. As we plant our feet firmly in this place as a representation that no matter what has crumbled, we can be firmly planted on the love of Christ. That if you have lost home, if you have lost family, if you have lost your sanity, if you have lost your finances, you have the love of Christ. And some of you may feel that you have even lost that because of something you've done or something you've experienced or maybe your own doubt and questions have robbed the love of Christ. But today we can all lean into the love of God and we can have our feet firmly planted. So feel the comfort of that today that you have not lost everything. And even if you cannot identify with that, I ask you to press into intercession for those who have, whether it be those who have lost their homes in the islands or in Texas or in Florida, those that have lost family members that need to not be forgotten in their loss. 
those who have lost homes and jobs. Push into intercession for them that they would build their life on the love of God. grab the hand of the person next to you. We thank you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for the love that existed before the foundations of the earth. We thank you that we have been given this great gift of your love. And we thank you for the physical reminder some of us need this morning that we are not alone, that we will not be shaken, and that we are loved. So let us plant our feet firmly in your love and in community and in faith. These are extraordinary gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we're in the book of Mark. We've been in the book of Mark. We're going to stay in the book of Mark. We're on chapter 10. And um, just a quick update. In the next few weeks, we're going to be doing some stuff related to River City as a church moving forward. So, the next three weeks specifically. Again, we don't have a thing about making sure everyone's here. But if there's three weeks to be here this year, this is probably... The next three weeks would be really, really smart to be at if you're a part of our body. Um, we're going to be doing some prayer stuff. We're going we're gonna to be talking about why we exist, and we're going to be talking about the future of our church. So I would really encourage you to be a part of that. As you know, we're all praying right now about space location, um, some exciting stuff. So I digress. We're back in Mark, Mark chapter 10. So I've been kind of locking in what the themes are in Mark, and as we're 10 chapters through, it's interesting that a lot of the things that keep jumping out are things that we typically don't hear preached. And one of the main things I think I've noticed is how much the disciples don't have a clue what's going on. And how many times I've heard it preached that if you were to... Now, the disciples messed up here, and here's how you don't need to do it, which I don't really think is the main content so far. I think what I'm starting to sense and see is that these guys are not going to know, Period. Until, until the cross. That's just how it's going to be. They're going to fail miserably. Jesus is not going to leave them at any moment. He's going to say really strong and hard things. He's going to challenge them deeply. He's going to bring things to light, but he is not leaving them until he leaves and, and brings the Holy Spirit. But he's not going to get upset and be like, seriously, guys, every chapter. He doesn't speak in chapters. He just, but <laughs> seriously, guys, what's, he doesn't get to that point, which is encouraging he doesn't get to that point with any of them because there's legitimate things that they do that are just not okay. We look back at it through a Christocentric lens and see clearly that is just dumb. But he doesn't do that ever with them. And that is encouraging to me because this is not an idea and reading through a gospel is not, the point is not to make sure you do all the right things, which I think is where we fail. But it is to make sure that you know that Jesus' presence with you is the only thing that cannot stop. That's what is happening here. In a bunch of mess, Jesus is continually with them. That's the only win they get. They never have it right. So we were on vacation for one day this past week, and when we're on vacation, I always watch Christian television in large chunks. 
And it's not because I want to learn from Christian television. And I understand, again, theologically, you probably have some things you don't like about that. But it is amazing to me what is put through television for Christians to watch. I, I did not watch one show that I was like, thank you, Jesus, for this content. People will be radically saved. I didn't watch anything that that, that happened with. I watched four hours over two days of shows. Some of them, um, some of them, I can't even believe that somebody could watch and say, that's, that's Jesus. One guy literally pointed at his wife and said, wife, come here, stand up here. And he said to the congregation, we're doing good in our church because she learned how to submit at a young age. Snap! I was like, I paused it, recorded it, and sended it. I'm, I'm sent it, Marco Poloed it to all of my friends. I'll have to show you a picture. I don't, want, I don't want to make fun of this guy. I'm not doing that. But the lady walked up and she was like, and he was talking about this like blessed marriage that they have. And she looked like she was ready to run. It just looked awful. Then I turned to another, another channel. And a common theme I heard was pastors saying, now you're not going to hear this everywhere. Like, if you ever hear me say that, you're going to hear it everywhere, okay? <laughs> but a common thing throughout the channels was, you're not going to hear this everywhere, but... Now, I, th- I know some people say Jesus loves everybody, but Jesus does not love everybody. It was one of them. And I was like, draw me in. All right, I want to hear this guy out because evidently this is going to be super encouraging and I'm going to want Jesus after this. <laughs> and another channel, same thing, and they were trying to sell tapes on the rapture and it was still literally tapes tape cassettes I also recorded that and sent it to some friends so I got away from it and I was like man after reading through the book of Mark and really extracting what the book of Mark a gospel centered on the life of Jesus transfers to someone this is not the same stuff so if you're a Christian who has been raised on Christian television you probably need to spend some time with people in a local community and really read through a gospel. Because most of it is not the same. Definitely the content just from two days looked completely different from the content in the book of Mark. Completely different. I read the book of Mark, and the themes that have come up are people have seen Jesus walk around healing people, but he made sure that they knew that's not all this is about. Miracles are great, but this is all leading somewhere. He would walk around, and he would be challenged and and the religious leaders would hate him and he would make a stand in a way he would always find the person in need and have time for them. He has a way of loving others differently. He was not bought into patriotism in in the city he was in. He was not bought into that that thought process that this is the way we're getting the gospel. In fact, he, he very much was like this with that idea. He very much fought that. He, he very much was into community and being with people, not just saying things, here, go do this. He very much had to show them, and in the process, we see that a group of guys have no idea what to do, even still, and we're 10 chapters in. This is the gospel, right? This is who we follow. This is what we have to build our lives around. So I just want to say this to you. If this is not a way that you have taken in the gospel to read through a book, to understand the context and why he wrote it and who wrote it and who it was for. These are really important things for a believer. These are not just secondary things, right? It's not just, let me understand that when I pray, I get what I need, even though we did that this morning. That's a good part. It's also a much bigger picture that will make you question yourself a lot. 
will bump into your ideals that are usually not the same ideals as Jesus. It will make you, in a church setting like this, understand this is not all it is. This is not all it is, just showing up to this place. This is definitely not all it is. This is a part of it. And so as we move into this today, a little context, he's about 15 miles away from where he will go and die. He's 10 chapters in for him. It's more like two and a half years into this. He's had these guys with him. He's built relationships. He's had awesome moments with him. He's had, Jordan and I were talking about Kairos moments. He's had these moments that just like stamp life into people. And we, we go into this passage after Bill shared just great, uh, great message last week on the rich young ruler who was unwilling to give away half that he owned and in the process reveal what his true allegiance was and that he was just trying to attach Jesus maybe to his own agenda, which is what's about to happen here as well. So I know for me when I think of greatness, and I do a lot, um, I've always wanted to be great. I've always wanted to be great. And it doesn't matter what it is. It, it, church, for sure, just me being transparent, I want to be great way more than it's actually biblical for me to be great. Way more. That's a daily thing I fight. But it started when I was young. Um, it started in athletics. And, and then it started in other things. And I remember when I received Jesus growing up in a church, I didn't enjoy being at the church. But I went to the church, and I just thought, this is pretty impossible to do. Who would want to do this? But my family kept taking me to church, so thank you. That was not fun for me. I remember meeting a family and finally tasting and seeing that Jesus was good. And then I remember my entrance into Christianity and this insatiable desire to be awesome at it. And it's, it's a little revealing how many people we throw directly into ministry right after salvation. And then spoon feed this idea that you've been called and you have a great calling. And in that calling, God is going to do so many things. I remember stepping into Christianity as a youth pastor locally and feeling a daily hatred for myself because I wasn't as great as my calling was. I didn't feel that. like, But I had these daily motivations of wanting to do amazing things for Jesus, but not really realizing it wasn't even wanting to do them for Jesus. I would just appreciate doing awesome things and being known for that. So it looked like wanting to be a conference speaker. It looked like wanting to have the best preach messages ever. And so I was passionate. Um, probably half Lord, half me, which is a, it's a mix that they have, and it's a mix that we all carry um, when our agendas find their way into the gospel. When our agendas find their way into the gospel. And then we try and kind of give this blend to the world, and it's really confusing. And so this is what's happening here in verses 32 through 45. And I want to read to you really quickly Philippians 2, 5 through 7, just to give you some context. This passage, and really for the rest of the gospel, Jesus is trying to show people, you've had the wrong ideals. It's about serving. It's about serving people. Again, they had this idea of a Messiah that would come like David and destroy their enemies. And so he's trying to set the tone. This is going to be about serving. And so in Philippians 2, 5 through 7, we see this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he, he's talking about Jesus himself being a servant. And then you look all the way in Luke twenty two twenty four. 24. This is actually 
right near when he would be betrayed and right before he's going to be killed. So this is the disciples' conversation. All, this is after. They've, they've done everything they're going to do with Jesus. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. So this is, right, this is after all the content with Jesus. They're still in this spot. And so this passage, if you could bring up 32 through 34, I want to share this with you. If you want to open up, it's Mark. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. It's important. It's chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. In some translations, it actually says it here in a second, but it really means they were terrified. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Really quickly, this is the third time he says it. The first time he said, I'm going to suffer. The second time he said, I'm going to be betrayed. This is the third time he says this to them. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. This, this actual statement becomes the most important thing that will ever happen in history. So he's gathered the 12. He sits them down. He tells them, one, just aside from knowing who Jesus is, just imagine any human you know looking at you and saying, hey, just want to run this by you. Here shortly, I'm going to be taken to the authorities. They're going to kill me. They're going to spit on me. Just a friend, right? Just, you're just a friend, not Christian related. Your interaction would be like, what did you say? S- slow down. Tell me that one more time, but slow down, even through the parts of spitting and flogging. I want to hear what you meant by that. What are you talking about? Who's going to kill you, right? This happens to be Jesus the Messiah, who they know is the king. He says this to them. To them. It's the most important thing that's ever going to happen, this specific thing. And he's telling them for the first time in detail, this is about to happen to me, guys. Like, here, his dudes, this is about to happen to me. And so they have a response for him. This is their response. This is great. Just get, get this. Gruesome thing he just said. This is about to happen. This is their response. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Okay. Context again. He just shared with them what even a friend was sharing with you would get 100% of your attention. Right? But the Messiah sharing with his friends. And their immediate response to him isn't, compassion it's it's this is so revealing to me this is their response teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you and he said to them also also really revealing okay not like hey stupid people i just told you i was going to die a terrible death thank you for not listening once again it's like all of our facebook posts around political season like we're all geniuses, right? And we all know the answers because they're all idiots. Jesus is like, all right, this feels a little bit out of place, but let's talk through this. What would, you like, what would you like for me to do for you? What would you like, guys? And I don't sense that he's sarcastic. I just sense he's like, okay, what is, what is it that you want for you? And then carrying on. And they said to him, grant us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. 
And Jesus said to them, guys, you don't, you don't really know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And stay there for just a second. That's like a big thing to say to them. Like, you don't really know what you're asking, right? And like, I think if it was us with our Messiah, we all know that we would just be like, okay, evidently there's some deeper meaning here. I'm just going to sit back and listen to you talk to me about what this is for just a second. Disciples, what do you have to say about that? And they said to him, oh, we are able. (laughs) We are able. For sure, Jesus, we are definitely able. I don't know if you noticed, but we've been following you for 10 chapters. I know you don't speak in chapters, but we've been following you for 10 chapters, and I don't know if you noticed how awesome we've been doing when we failed everything that you ever said for us to do. So evidently, yes, we can do and drink from whatever you're giving us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, calm down. It's Jesus. He's okay. We can drink. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. They don't know that the two he's actually speaking to will be the first and the last to be martyred. One will have their head cut off. One will be boiled in oil and then sent to an island. They don't know that, but he's saying to them, oh, okay. Well, if you want to talk like, like actual logistics, yes, you will drink from the cup. And they're probably like, see, what, see this is why it's good that we did this. Because we're drinking from the cup, guys. He's like, you don't really know what's going to happen. You don't, you don't know what you're asking. You're You're talking about a greatness in this concept that you have in your mind. We're not going to be sitting around like doing cheers and like doing dances. It's not going to be that kind of thing. The cup that the greatest will drink, this is a different cup. But yes, just for point of fact, you will both drink from that cup. So, but um, to sit at my right or hand left, that's not mine to grant. But it's for those whom it has been prepared. I don't want to even try and get at what that means, but I do know that... (coughs) The level of someone suffering, the level that someone has given their life for Christ, I just believe those seats will be closest. I can't prove that theologically. Um, I know that they don't understand that here, and I know that it's easy to read this passage and be like, again, like with the disciples, with our foreknowledge looking back to say, how stupid could you be? Like, for real, guys, how stupid could you be? But we do the same thing every day. We do the same thing that the disciples do every day. In every prayer, in everything that we live out, Jesus has one set of dialogue that he is trying to give to us, and we always bring to the table our own agenda. And we try our best to try and figure out how our agenda can work into this. And Jesus is always like, you guys, you really do not know what you are asking. You really don't know. You really haven't understood this up to this point, and you don't know. And so... They don't get it. They never do. And I I wish I could say, like, at the end of this chapter, this is the point. They get it. They don't. They don't get it. Jesus isn't taking off, though. They have this idea of a power Messiah that this is their last-ditch effort to be like, listen, because they're afraid, right? They're following Jesus. He's on ahead. They're afraid, and it's because they're heading to Jerusalem where they know chief priests and leaders want to kill Jesus. And they're also walking with him. So they don't see it yet that Jesus is going to want to die. He just told them, they just see, we're about to walk into a a storm. And we're afraid. And so, guys, let's think of something. Like, this is what we're going to do. How do we get those seats? How do we get get that? And in in another gospel, their mom actually shows up. And some people believe it's because they didn't want to paint the disciples in a bad light. So they brought the mom in to be like, of course the disciples would never say something that stupid to Jesus. So let's bring the mom in over here and be like, my sons want to. And then some people think 
they want so badly that they talk their mom into coming and being like, these are my two boys, and they would really like. But in any case, they're in the complete wrong arena. They don't get it. They don't understand what he's asking. I don't know that we understand what he's asking. I don't know that when we look at the gospel and how we're supposed to live this out daily, I think some of us would have stopped in chapter 4 and built a miracle ministry. We really would have. We would have stopped and been like, this is good, evidently, because people are eating bread, guys. Stinking bread. Bread King is here. I'm starting a ministry. It's called Bread Ministry for Jesus Christ, JoshTurner.com. <laughs> like, some of us would have stopped in chapter 6 and built a ministry around that. Some of us would have stopped in chapter 8 and built a ministry around that. Jesus is like, don't stop, okay? All of this is pointing to something much bigger than any of that. Any of it. I'm not trying to poo-poo on miracles. I'm not. I'm just saying, evidently, a miracle is not enough because they're still clueless. Evidently, it's not all there is because they still have no idea that it's not about a seat at a table in the greatest position. He's trying to show them that the only way this will ever work is if you are selfless. If you want to know about the gospel and how easy it is to understand it, it really boils down to the simplicity of other people matter more. And they need you to step in and serve. They need you to be present in their lives. The church exists for that. You exist for that. The reason we're in chapter 10 and it's not the cross there is because they still got more. And the reason they still got more is because they're still trying to talk Jesus into giving them spots for themselves. They still think it's about becoming something he's asking them to not become. They still want to be great and they don't get what great is. Great is when you can look at someone that has a need without reserving, without getting anything back from them. Because we can serve, guys, we're all really intelligent. Most of us are really intelligent. Some of, some of you in here are not extremely intelligent. <laughs> I'm just trying to be honest with y'all. We can figure out ways to even do the gospel in a way that appears like the gospel, but it's not really the gospel. When you serve someone who can do nothing for you. They can't make you get better in your job. They can't push you forward in your reputation. When you serve someone like that and receive nothing back except for just loving them where they're at, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. If that is not a part of your walk with Christ, this is where a, a preacher could say like a really condemning, hateful thing. I don't want to do that because I see myself just like these guys. I feel like all of us are in this book always not knowing what to do. Even when they think they know exactly what to do, it's never right, and we're no different. We're never so good that we can step away from Jesus and form a plan. But his plan here is guiding them to a cross when they think it's a crown. They're trying to figure out, how do I get a crown? What is a seat anyway? What is being seated next to him? That doesn't even sound, I mean, just a seat. But what it represents Look at those two guys on those seats. Look at them. How awesome are they? He is so good at being whatever he needed to be because he's sitting next to Jesus. What does this seat represent? What are the seats in your life that are saying to you, you need to make sure you get this because you'll have value if you do that. You'll be valuable, right? And people will see you and cheer, and that's in all of us. And he says it's not about that, Josh. Stop. When someone in your life around you, when nobody is watching, has a need, 
The word here that they use in, in a second, I'm going to read it, is diaconus. It's the word we get for deacon, which means just menial labor and service. It's just, it's nothing to do with other than just, there's that I can help with and I'm doing it, I'll walk away. So the gospel Jesus is trying to give to them, because they have these already attached agendas that are so strong, they need their Messiah to harm people that is harming them. It's so strong in them that even when Jesus looks directly at them and tells them exactly how it is, I'm about to die and I'm going to be resurrected, even when exact perfect words of the, this is exactly what happens. You read that and you're like, that's exactly what happens. People actually spit on all this. Even when they don't understand it. Have you ever been talking to somebody and sharing like the most important thing? This is one of my biggest pet peeves when I'm like sharing my heart, which I don't do a ton one-on-one, I need to do it more. And you can just kind of tell they're like, I'm like, are you serious? I just shared some big stuff with you, man. You're not even looking at me. I know it. You know it when, when you're telling somebody something important and they're like, yeah, what were you saying? This is Jesus sharing the exact way that it's going to happen and his disciples being like, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal you're sharing there, Jesus. We all understand. We're totally good. By the way, we want you to do something for us. Okay, I'll do it. What do you want me to do? And then the process of asking, they, their request is so stupid, like that they don't even understand it. It's just so dumb. Like, we want to sit next to you. S- stop. Like, all of us. Like, But we do the same thing. We don't get clearly what he's trying to speak to us, and we continue to ask for these things that have nothing to do with anything good happening in our lives or anyone else around us. We continue to have these thirsts that want to be great. We continue to want it to be this way because it's so deeply ingrained in us. And he says to us, and this is the only thing I can make of this. And I want to read you really 41 through 45. I'm sorry um, for apologizing. (laughs) I've been told to not apologize, so I'm going to quit doing that. And when the ten heard it, see, this is great. The ten come back, and they hear what they had said, and they're like, are you serious? You're having that conversation? And, and we're like, yeah, because they're going to be like, you're, you're stupid, right? Because Jesus is telling you he's going to die. And you really ask that, but they don't. The ten come back and they're mad that these guys might get ahead. Like, how revealing. They're mad that they might be second. Not that Jesus is going to die. They're mad. You had that conversation? We were planning on that in a minute. Why didn't you wait? We could have all done it together. We can all sit next to Jesus. That's not what's happening. And when he had heard the ten, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to him and said to them, and he sits him down. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers and Gentiles the Lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. That's powerful, strong language. For even the Son of Man came to not be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the gospel message right here. This is, he's saying what he's doing. He's putting on the flesh of a human to come and die for people who don't even want him to do it. Even his closest don't understand it or desire it. He does what's needed for a group of people, getting nothing back. And because of that, because of that selflessness, we are in this room right now. The gospel of Jesus is with us. And the gospel of Jesus is calling out to all of us, saying, don't be stooped anymore. After watching those shows, I wonder how many people 
really believe all of that nonsense that is cranked through TV to large amounts of people, that if you would just give this certain amount, you could have this, or if this woman would just stay in her place, God would bless this church. Or I'm going to say it like it is, but not really say it like it is. How many people are just absorbing this and then living that gospel? And that's why the gospel through most people looks like shame and guilt and I don't want you, Jesus. And I definitely don't want to be a part of that. That's why the gospel looks like that in a lot of our hearts. Because we haven't tasted and seen the real Jesus. The one that sits before us and says, I am going to die for you. Even if it was just you alone, it would be me dying for you. And I don't need you to do anything back. Because it has to be me dying for you. In fact, I'm going to take off your shoes. I'm going to wash your feet. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm doing it for you. That's the gospel. And he doesn't ask you to give a one-time gift because of it. He doesn't try and make the women know that this is all good, but you really should just shut up and not talk and be in leadership. And he doesn't wait for people to just say it like it is. Who, who will just say that evil people are going to hell? Who will just say this? He waits for someone who will come and do like Christ did, give of their actual life for the benefit of others, so that someone else can receive the gift of Jesus, which is serving. He is, that's his whole ministry, to serve, to serve you. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's because you still have an unhealthy idea of what power is, and you don't really know what real power is. Real power is not a man who tells you what to do all the time. That's actually weakness. Real power is a man who will do whatever is needed for you or a woman to receive what's needed. It's parenting. It's good parenting. I'll do whatever for my kids. I don't care if I look like an idiot doing it. If they need it, I'm doing it. That's your Jesus to you. And it has to be like that or you're going to become one of these TV preachers. All you're going to be TV preachers on a weird kind of thing. You're going to be cranking out some junk like making cassette tapes. Guys, it's 2008. Nobody's buying a cassette. Come on. Somebody needs to walk them through this. Like, nobody's buying your cassettes. You have to give everybody a cassette player to do that. Get a better business plan. Put it on something else. Like, I probably would listen to that, though. It said the mark of the, it was about the mark of the beast, right? I'm just saying to you guys. We want to stop the book of Mark in these little, and create a ministry, and he's like, there's not a spot where I am not with you. Don't create your own ministry. If your ministry is anything, it's pointing to Jesus, and that's it. And even when Jesus leaves, he gives us a helper so that we're still not making it about us. Even when he's gone, helper. There's no spot where it's like, all right, guys, you guys are good, evidently. We've, we've, we've heard what you guys had to say in the book of Mark, so go ahead and do a good job with this. It'd be crazy. So for you today, I'm going to just pray for you. There's so many different points I want to make with this passage. But as I close, I think all you can really do is listen to yourself tell him what you want and be willing to give him space with it. I'm not trying to tell you don't want all the same things the disciples didn't want because they didn't evidently get it either. But I am trying to tell you that Jesus at no point decided to leave them. So the message that I get out of this isn't, fix all the mistakes that the disciples made. It's the disciples made a thousand mistakes and Jesus was never willing to leave them. He was always with them. So if you would mind closing your eyes with me. I felt like
through prayer to close today. I needed to do this for you. Because there are some of you who aren't disciples that still follow, but have failed miserably as disciples, and you just feel like he is done. He is not done. You're just as wrong as the disciples. I'm just as wrong as the disciples. But they stayed with him even when they were afraid to walk 15 miles to a place that they thought they might be killed. So the prayer today is this. Number one, recently, have you served anyone that can do nothing for you? Have you served anyone that can do absolutely nothing for you? And number two, I'm just going to pray kind of a word, a picture for you, imaginative prayer. I, I imagine this was the moment for some of you that you needed and that Jesus wanted to be with you. I see him reaching his hand out to you. And I see him knowing exactly everything about your entire life. And I feel him asking if you would put your hand in his. Not because you figured it all out, but because you haven't. Not because you've capitalized on the theology that's perfect for this to happen, but because you haven't. See and sense him hearing your dumb questions that we all have and seeing the agenda that's attached to you becoming great or the one that's claiming that you are awful now. And I see him saying, guys, just put your hand in mine. This is the way. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. And I just, I just ask that you would give space in your mind to interact with the Jesus that is really actually interacting with you right now. Would you place your hand in his? Would you have a conversation with him about why you wouldn't? And in a closing prayer, Jesus, as Sarah prayed earlier, that if we don't know anything but the love that you give us, God, it is very real. And it is the foundation that we build our life on. It's where you ask us to start. We love because you first loved us. This is why these disciples are invited to go with you. This is the message you were trying to show to them. that I love you so much that I will give my life as a ransom for many. Doulos. I'll be a slave who is bound to serve you. That's the language he uses. A slave is bound to serve. As Christians, we are bound to serve. I just want to ask, Father, for forgiveness for our agendas that make us important people and other people unimportant people. I want to ask forgiveness for wanting our church to be the best church ever. Even though I, I want that, I want it to be cleansed. I don't want it to be because we're better than other churches. God, I pray that the body of Christ would be, would, would be a picture of this Jesus that serves and steps in when needed in places like Puerto Rico, in places like Texas. But forgive us for not even doing it in places like 100 feet from our house and even in our own families. Forgive us for giving people a set of rules to attain so that they can be a part of what you're doing instead of seeing what you're doing to the disciples and being with them in their mess. Forgive us for heaping shame on those who already have too much shame. Cleanse us from this idea that we are, there's an us and them. But build a bridge between us and, and humanity so that we can love like you've loved. 
And yes, Father, thank you for your salvation. That we are being saved, which is what that word means. We are being saved daily. Because we need it daily. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a memory on this date. It is a daily thing that we need to be saved. Help us to throw ourselves at your feet. Help us to serve our goal. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.